As we uh, continue this in-between series, I want us to take a moment and uh, kind of rehearse where we've been. Uh, we've seen that, uh, that God rescues us. Uh, we've seen that God is our hope. Uh, we've seen that uh, when the world seems like it's melting, that we can count on God to take care of us. Uh, and as followers of Jesus today, I want us to consider how that God is known. God is known. He is known by us who are followers of Jesus, uh, but he also makes himself known. In Psalm 76, our text today, the psalmist uh, makes great pains to make sure that the people of God understand that God is known and God has made himself known. And he's done it in very particular ways. This psalm was written for a particular context, no doubt, in the other psalms of Asaph from the Asaph collection. Uh, Y'all have seen the little uh, uh, late night television advertisements. If you uh, grew up in the 80s, you can get the 80s collection songs and you grew up in the 70s, you can get the 70s collection songs. They'll even have one of the rock and rollers of of yesterday, get on there and sell his wares, and, uh, or those special uh, uh, compilation of all the top 50 hits of the generation in which you grew up. Uh, and each one of those songs awakens in us a particular memory, perhaps, or um, a particular uh, time and place. Uh, in the Asaph selection of the Psalms, or Asaph collection of the Psalms, we find something awakening and reminding the church or the people of God of a particular time in their life. And in many ways, much of these songs were written for times of great despair where God came through. And as we look at these Asaph's uh, collection of songs, we discovered that for many of them, they were written during a time of great turmoil, when Assyria came and and conquered Jerusalem, perhaps. Uh, But also, they can call to mind Egyptian bondage, uh, where God took Israel out of bondage in in Egypt and parted the Red Sea so the children of Israel might escape uh, the hand of Pharaoh. It could even call to mind the victory of David over Goliath, Uh, as we see perhaps even in this psalm. Uh, But regardless of the context, what we discover is Psalm 76 is a universal song to help us know that God is known and that God makes himself known. So as we look at this psalm, we need to understand that God makes himself known in our world. And even today, not just in days past, Not just with the children of Israel, but here and now in this world, in the darkness of this time, in the difficulties that you face, God makes himself known. Now, that's how the psalmist begins. And let's read all 12 verses of Psalm 76, and then let's look at how God makes himself known. Psalm 76, beginning in verse 1. In Judah, God is known. His name is great 
in Israel. In Salem or Jerusalem also is his dwelling place and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword of battle, Selah. You now begins talking to God. Verses 1 through 3 talks about God. Beginning in verse 4, the psalmist begins to talk to God. You are more glorious and excellent than mountains filled with prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They've sunk into their sleep. None of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both chariot and horse were cast into a deep sleep. You yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth, Selah. Verse 10, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. As we look at this passage and as we look at this song, there are certain notes of the song that help us understand what this passage speaks to us today, especially in the in-between times. In-between is always challenging. In-between is filled with doubts, discouragements, and despair. In-between is that season in between the moment where you began your journey with God as a follower of Jesus, but you're not yet to that place of absolute victory in heaven with God because of Jesus. And you're stuck in between. In between is where many of you find yourselves today. I'm talking about those moments of sweat and toil and tears, where you're struggling to find answers to questions that you didn't even know you had to ask. I'm talking about those seasons where you long for relief, for comfort, for peace, but you're still stuck in that season of suffering. Today, God has an answer for you, and the answer is himself. It's not some other solution. Here's where we get in trouble. As followers of Jesus, we get in trouble when God has already given us the solution for the seasons of our sufferings in between. And that answer, that solution is himself. He is our greatest answer to all dilemma. But we get in trouble when we begin to 
search for answers outside of him. Where we begin to believe that, yes, God is in heaven doing his thing, but I'm in between. And it seems as if God has his hands in his pockets and he's not moving on my behalf. So I better get busy doing the work that I need to do to find the solution that I want to find. And so we take the matters into our own hands rather than finding our solution in him first and foremost. Now the reason I can talk about this aspect of in-between is because I am king of finding my own solutions. It is a preeminent desire in my life to find the solution for the struggles I'm facing. And often, too often, those solutions come with God far, far in the background of my thinking. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the picture of me uh, struggling with a puzzle. And I'm sitting at a table, uh, and I've got my thousand-piece puzzle laid out on the table, and I'm working on it, and I'm struggling through it. And someone comes along, perhaps my dad or perhaps my wife or my mother or my brothers, someone comes along and they're standing there watching me try to fit pieces of the puzzle together. They're looking over my shoulder, they're examining my work, not in a critical way, but more as an observer. But all the while, they're saying, you know, Eric, I've done this before. Eric, I've, I've worked this puzzle before. You know, Eric, I know where those pieces go. Eric, I'm standing right here, and I can help. But I get stuck in my season of suffering, searching for solutions in my own wisdom and strength. I get stuck in my own pride. You remember last week we looked at Psalm 75 and One of the great points of Psalm 75 is either be humble or be humbled. While I'm sitting there at that table, I can be humble. And I can find my solution in the presence of God, in his activity in my life, that he has made himself known to me. And that, my friends, should be sufficient. Where I find my comfort in him, I find my strength in him, I find my wisdom in him, I find my everything in God. He is my greatest good. But when I'm stuck in my pride, I ignore God and I try to work out the puzzle on my own. I try to know something about this life. When all I really need to do is know the one who created this life. 
So this morning, let's take a moment and see how that God makes himself known so that we can find the rest, the rescue that we need in our season of in-between. The first way that God makes himself known that we see in the passage is that he makes his home with us to protect us. You look in verses 1 through 3. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem, or Jerusalem, also is his tabernacle, or his refuge, his dwelling place. And his dwelling place in the New King James Version, his lair, his den, his home, is in Zion. There... He broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle. Now, Selah, think about it. Just rest on that for a second. What the psalmist is saying here is that God has made his home, his tabernacle, his dwelling place. He's made his home among his people in the world. He's made his home among us in the world. And he's done this so that he might pave the way for us to live. God has made himself known by making his home with us to protect us, to break the bow, to put out the flaming arrows, to subdue the strength of the enemy that is standing against us and the life that he has for us. Now, as we look at this passage and we see that in Judah, God is known, his name is great in Israel, we we consider that here in this place, God is known. Here and now in this room, God is known. He has made himself known because he has made his home with us. The picture of a tabernacle, the picture of a den or a refuge or a lair or a dwelling place is the picture that we see also about Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 14. When the apostle John is describing the movement of God from heaven to earth, the incarnation of deity in the skin and the sandals of humanity. He speaks of God dwelling among us. He speaks of the Word becoming flesh and making or pitching his tent, making his tabernacle among us so that we might behold the glory of God. Jesus came to make God known. He he set up his dwelling place with us so that we might be known by God, but also so that we might know God. Now, friends, God has not made himself known to you and me through Jesus so that we can ignore him in between. He has not made himself known to us through Jesus so that we can act as if 
He is some distant deity out there who should only be active in our lives when we deem it appropriate. God has not made himself known to you through the person of Jesus Christ merely so that you can or I can take him on a Sunday morning and leave him on a Sunday afternoon. God has made himself known to us so that we might be captured by him, so that we might dwell with him, so that we might make our hearts his home, so that our home might be in his heart. God has made himself known by making his home with us through Jesus. But the question before us is, are we depending on him to lead us in between? Are we finding our life in him? Are we discovering how to live each day in relationship with him who has made himself known to us through Jesus. Guys, bottom line, God has made himself known to us by making his home with us. And the result of him making his home with us is protection from him, unless, unless you and I decide that he's not worth hanging out with. Unless you and I decide that we're going to find our greatest source of strength and hope and life and purpose in some other source. So often, individuals will come to me, and even this week, and, and, and ask me about answers to their life's dilemma. And those dilemma can take many different forms and have different colors and contours. But friends, and this makes me not a great counselor, I understand, and, and, and I don't pretend to be. I'm a, I'm a pastor, and so you come to me, you're going to get a response that a pastor will give. You know what my response is? The answer to your trouble is relationship with God. I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that dismissively. I don't say that as if that's the only answer in my toolbox. I say it because it is the supreme answer for every struggle that you face. You say, well, I've been trying to get closer to God, but my trouble persists. And my answer is get closer to God still. Again, I understand there are a lot more struggles that go on, and I am the first one to, 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 to recommend that, that uh, people who come to me and they want deeper answers and, and more profound answers to more profound struggles and, 
that, that, that they have. I, I'm the first one to say you need to, there are great Christian counselors. There are two in this room right now, and, and, and I, can, I can give them name and number, and I say, you go see them. But I can tell you, the two counselors in this room, they're, they're going to say you've got to get closer to God. Now, they're going to give them some tools to help them tear down some of the barriers to that. But friends, listen. God has given us a solution, and that solution is himself. You live in fear, get closer to God. As you get closer to God, fear still persists, get even closer to God. You live in in, uh, 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 disease kind of thinking where your attitude always stinks, get closer to God. It is impossible to have a stinking kind of attitude if you've spent your journey with God. Again, I understand that is the one tool in my toolbox, but it is the greatest tool there is. Jesus came to show us God, to connect us with God so that he might be known, so that God might make his home with us and we might make our home with him. So that we might discover the protection that only God can deliver in this life. God has sent Jesus into your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's made himself known. The question is, are you depending on him? Not just in the tough times, but in the delightful times. Are you walking with God. The way we know that God's great, God's name is great in our lives is the results of him being known to us. What does he do? How does he work? How does he operate? Do we even see it? Guys, do you see and understand God's hand at work in your life today? Stop pointing the finger at everybody else and everything else as the, as the barrier between you and God. God's torn down all barriers between you and himself through the death of Jesus on a cross. He's made himself known to you so that you can live in sweet fellowship and immediate intimacy with him. God makes his home with us. Are you at home with God? God makes himself known to us by sending Jesus to dwell among us so that we might behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. John 1.18 says that that Jesus unveils God to us. He he makes him known. Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus tore down the, the, the barrier of sin between us and a holy God so that we might live in uh, friendship with God. He's poured God's spirit within us so that we can live in immediate intimacy with God. God has made himself known because he's made his, his home with us. But are you at home with God? The psalmist goes on, beginning in verse 4. In verse 4, he he writes, now he he begins to talk to God. He says, you're more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. 
The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep, and none of the mighty men have found use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a deep, deep sleep. Uh, the, this is the beginning of the second section of the psalm. And, and as, as the psalmist begins to talk to God, he says, you're more glorious and excellent. That, that term for glorious is a, is a term that literally means to be enveloped in light. And what the psalmist is saying is that God has made himself known and he's done it in a particular way. He's displaying his power for us. God breaks into the darkness of our world and unveils his glory and his excellence and his majesty. And he does this significantly by the works of deliverance and rescue that he provides. And God displays his power. Do you see his power on display? If the question of the first section is, am I at home with God? The question of the second section is, do I see God's power on display in my life right now? And you might say, well, I don't see any miracles. My response is, you're not looking hard enough. You might say, well, I don't see how God's at work in my life. And my response is, well, you're not at home with God enough to see how he's working in your life then. If indeed you're a follower of Jesus, then make no mistake that he is displaying his glory and his excellence here and now for you to see. In fact, right here in this place with the unveiling of his word and his spirit applying it to your heart. Friends, that is a miracle. That God is working in your life right now. He's speaking to you. That is a miracle that he's working in your life right now. He's unveiling his will for your life. That is a miracle that he is working in your life right now. If indeed you're a follower of Jesus and you cannot say, I, you, you cannot say, I see God at work. I, I see his power on display. Then I would suggest you need to stop. And you need to look. The psalmist is, is describing God. It is like the whole world is filled with darkness, but God who is enveloped in this light of his holiness and his majesty steps into my world and pushes back the darkness with his very presence. Again, we look to Jesus as the supreme Example of how God works in displaying his power. In John chapter 1 again, in verses 4 and 5, the apostle John says that that which came to be in Jesus was life. And the life that Jesus brought was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. says later on that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to as many as believed on his name, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Now, friends, 
Jesus came as the glorious display of God, unveiling the splendor of the Godhead. In him was life, and that life was the light that would shine for men. Just as the psalmist saw God stepping into the darkness of his circumstance with his rescuing power, Jesus has come into our circumstance, dispelling the darkness and delivering life to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, the very fact that your sin is forgiven, that you live in light and not in darkness, that you have life to replace death, that is God's power on display for you. And that is the greatest miracle of all. That a sinner can be rescued from their sin. But, let me get more practical, not just spiritual, let me get more practical. The psalmist then talks about how God's power is on display, not just metaphorically, but in real life, in real time. He, he, he calls on historical examples, and again, we don't know what these examples were. Uh, perhaps they're a reference to Egypt and, and God delivering the children out of bondage there. Perhaps it's a picture of David overcoming Goliath. Perhaps it's a picture of Joshua leading the children of Israel through the land of Canaan and defeating the Philistines uh, it, it, uh, or the Edomites or the Amorites or the Hittites or the Gugugugugugazites. There's really not a Gugugugugugazites, but just see if you're paying attention. But here's, what, here's how the psalmist describes it. He says, uh, the, the mountains were filled with prey, but God dispelled the darkness, so the, mountains, uh, the, the prey had to run and hide. The stout-hearted were plundered. Even the strong men uh, were, 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 uh, were defeated. They, they've sunk into their sleep. The psalmist says that, that God's power even puts a pail over them so that they are standing in silence and, and numb and, and sleepy heads rather than warriors that they thought they were. Uh, None of the mighty men found use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, chariot and horse were cast into a deep sleep. He's, He's saying, hey, listen, God not only is the light that shines in the darkness in a spiritual sense, but God is the one who displays his power to provide victory after victory after victory after victory for you and for me. As followers of Jesus, we live victoriously. Blessed be God, who always leads us into triumph through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't live defeated lives, we live victorious lives. You might say, well, times are tough and I don't, I, I don't, I don't feel very victorious right now. Well, I understand, I do, I've been there myself. That's one of the siren songs of a season of suffering. It lulls us into believing that we're defeated and hopeless. But friends, as followers of Jesus, God is always operating toward rescue. Right now, he is working his rescue in your life. He is working his power in your world. And if nothing else, perhaps you just need to pray 
Like the prophet prayed for his servant of old, Oh God, give him eyes to see your army, your work. Oh God, give us eyes to see your power at work. You've got a son or a daughter that's gone off the deep end and you say, I just don't know where any hope is for them. Friends, God is working rescue. You look at your marriage and you see only defeat and despair and no victory. And I would say God is working rescue for you today. You look at your job and you see it as just empty or about to come to an end. I would say God is working rescue for you today. And I don't say that as an empty promise. I say it because I believe it with all my heart. I say it because the Bible says it. I say it because I've experienced it in my own life. God is displaying his power among his people. God makes himself known by making his home among us to protect us. Am I at home with God? God makes himself known by displaying his power for us. Do I see his power on display in my life? If you're struggling, and we all are, if you're struggling, I I, want to just kind of sum up the last several verses with this one action item. God has made himself known, so we must worship God. Guys, last week I talked about this. Next week I'm going to talk about this. God's made himself known to you, but the question is, are you really worshiping God? I'm not talking about showing up at a church service and sitting in your assigned seat. Although we don't have assigned seats, some of you pretend like we do. Especially at 8 o'clock. I mean, I can count on some people sitting right where they're sitting. Up in the balcony, some of y'all been up there for at least 13 years that I've been here. I'm not talking about showing up at a place and checking that box. I'm talking about worshiping God. An absolute dangerous abandon, worshiping God. Edie and I have had these conversations and it seems for us, there are a lot of ways that we demonstrate worship to God and, and, and just tons of ways that we do that through praise and through prayer and through Bible study, um, through, through obedient devotion by finding our fit in the church and serving him. There are many ways that we show our worship to God and it's about a life that we live, especially early on in our life as husband and wife and young parents and growing family, it always seemed as if one of the tests for us, one of the dangerous acts of worship that we did was giving when we didn't have any money. I don't know if you've been there, and if you haven't, I encourage you to be there. But I, I, I have to say that so often especially in our younger years, and and it seems to be repeating sometimes this time of my life with three kids now in college. Thank you very much. 
I'm going to have to sell a kidney <laughs> at least. You know, even, even in those seasons of life, and it's never really easy, but God has called us to give. Had those many Saturday night conversations. We've looked at the checking account. We've looked at our bills. And we've been faced with a dilemma, do we give? And I can't say that we always were faithful. I can't say that because that'd be a lie. But I can say that every time we've been faithful, every time we took that dangerous step of giving when it didn't seem like we had any money, every single time we've been faithful to worship God in a dangerous way like that, God has been more than faithful to us. He's displayed his power. He's comforted our hearts. He's blessed us. Now, guys, I don't know what that dangerous worship looks like for you, but I can tell you this. Until you give yourself an absolute abandon to the God who has made himself known to you, you're going to live limping along in the in-between. The, the psalmist kind of paints a, a, a comparison here. Beginning in verse 7, he says, You yourself are to be feared, reverenced, who may stand in your presence when once you're angry, you cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to rescue all the oppressed of the earth. Think about that. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you with the remainder of wrath. He girds himself. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. Now what's the psalmist saying here? He's saying God's either going to be feared as judge or revered as king. For those of us who are followers of Christ, God's given us an opportunity to revere him as our king as the source of our life and the source of our strength. And when we revere him as our king, he rescues, he uplifts, he comforts. One of the key reasons we feel so hopeless is, is, is not because God is absent, not because God hasn't made his home, not because God's power isn't on display. The reason we feel hopeless in between is because we're not worshiping God in dangerous abandon, giving all that we are to him, letting go of everything that we cling to, of those little gods that we worship, including ourselves. Until we let everything go and jump in absolute abandon in worship to God, in obedience to Him, in faithfulness to Him, honoring Him, giving Him everything, saying yes to everything He asks us to do. We're going to limp along in between. But when we fear Him as our King, when we honor Him with our lives, he brings rescue our way, provision and protection. The other side of the coin are those that do not fear God. Uh, they, they don't revere him as king. And, and so the picture here in verses 7 through 12 is that God is going to bring his judgment on them and 
they will then fear him as judge. Verse 10 says that the wrath of man praises God, confesses God, speaks of God. What that means is that every person who refuses to submit to God in worship will eventually have to declare, even as Nebuchadnezzar did after grazing in grass as a crazy man for a while, even Nebuchadnezzar had to say, surely this is God. Every king, every ruler on this earth, every person, every power will have to fear God as judge. The option for us is simple as followers of Jesus. God has made himself known. So will you worship him? Will you submit to him? Will you be at home with him? Will you depend on his power rather than your own? In this way, we find victory and hope in between. Let's bow our heads together. This morning, I pray that God would speak his words to your heart that he would show you, as he is showing me, what he would like to change in me, in you, how that he needs to transform us. But as we close here this morning, my, my request from you is simply this. Will you, as a follower of Jesus, be willing to lay yourself on the altar before God? See, God is known, and he's made himself known. And as a follower of Jesus, you know him, but if you're going to get to know him more so that you're at home with him, you have to lay yourself on the altar before him. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. Will you worship him in these moments? Well, that means coming to this altar and giving him that which you've been holding back, whether it means coming to one of the ministers here at the front and asking for their prayer, whether it means Uh, taking that step of faithfulness and obedience that you've been holding back, whatever it is that this living sacrifice means to you right now, as the Spirit of God reveals it to you, will you say yes to Him? Oh God, break down every stubborn heart, every heart filled with pride and self-sufficiency, and lead us to worship you dangerously today so that we might make our home with you so that we might see your power on display in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.